And this is uh, the letter of Paul to Philemon. It says this, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved fellow worker, and Apphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and the church in your house. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers, because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. Accordingly, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required, yet for love's sake, I prefer to appeal to you. I, Paul, an old man, and now a prisoner also for Christ Jesus, I appeal to you for my child Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you and to me. I am sending him back to you, sending my very heart. I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel. But I preferred to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion, but of your own accord. For this perhaps is why he was parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever. No longer as a slave, but more than a slave, as a beloved brother. Especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. So if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. If he has wronged you at all, or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it. To say nothing of of your owing me even your own self. Yes, brother, I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I say. At the same time, prepare a guest room for me, for I am hoping that through your prayers I will be graciously given to you. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends greetings to you, and so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. The grass withers and the flowers fade away. The word of God stands forever. Let's pray before we consider it further tonight. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for uh, looking back on a a year of being able to do this. uh, To be together. um, And more, maybe more importantly, to be able to hear from you. You have given us your word. God, you're good to speak to us, and so we pray that tonight you would do it again, that by your Holy Spirit you would be here, and you would allow us, you would enable us to hear you, so that we might be changed. And we ask this in Jesus' name, amen. All right, so several years ago, I got on Facebook, and I saw that I had two students, uh, two students of mine in RUF that were dating, And they had posted a picture of themselves at Olive Garden. And the caption to their picture uh, read something like this. Well, I guess we're married now because when you're here, you're family. Okay, you get it. Uh, Which, as you seem to know, was Olive Garden's slogan at the time. When you're here, you're family. 
And I thought it was fairly clever, albeit a, a bit cheesy, but fairly clever. So that was Olive Garden's slogan for 14 years. When you're here, you're family. And then they got rid of it for some reason in 2012, uh, and they went with Go Olive Garden. For some reason, <laughs> that seemed better. But it was such a good slogan that Jimmy Fallon picked up on it, realized that uh, Olive Garden had decided not to use it anymore, and so evidently someone from the show, or maybe Jimmy Fallon himself, got in touch with them and, and asked them, like, well, since you're not using it, can we use it? And they said yes. And so you can YouTube it, right? You, know, you can see the clip on Fallon. The president from Olive Garden comes on the Fallon show, and they sign a contract, you know, making it official that... The, the Tonight Show can use that slogan. I don't know if they still use it or not, but it's pretty funny. But if you think about it, um, if you think about what's at the heart of that slogan and why it worked for Olive Garden for 14 years, which is, I would assume, on the longer end of slogans, how long they run, it communicates something that's really attractive to people, right? It, it's the idea that at least while you're here with us, we're going to treat you different than the world treats you. We're going to treat you special. We're not going to treat you just like a customer. right? We're going to look at you and we're going to treat you like family. We're going to treat you like you matter to us. And we're going to make sure that you're comfortable and that you're welcome here. And I think that it's fair to say that that, that very idea is really what's at the heart of this letter that we just read tonight. That when you're here, you're family. The basic idea is that believers, that fellow Christians, are called to treat each other like family, regardless of the circumstances. In other words, that the fundamental principle of how Christians relate to one another is that of brotherly love. That that's what it comes down to. That's the fundamental principle. And so look, if you're a believer, if you're here tonight and you're a believer, I want you to see that that's what you're called to, and we're going to look at that. And if you're not a believer, I want you to, I want you to think about and just sort of follow along with us and think, doesn't that sound attractive to you? To be a part of a group where you're treated like family, regardless of the circumstances. And so I want to look at that tonight. Uh, Basically in three parts. First, we're going to look at the situation of the letter. It's what's going on in the letter. Secondly, we'll look at the request that Paul makes. And then thirdly and finally, we'll look at the motivation behind that request. So first, the situation. What's going on in the letter? All right, so yeah, exactly that, right? This is a letter that Paul, the Apostle Paul, wrote while he was in Rome. He was in jail. And he writes... To a Christian guy, a man that he knows, named Philemon. He lives hundreds of miles away, probably you know, roughly about a thousand miles away in the town of Colossae. And Philemon had a slave, a servant, uh, named Onesimus. And when he was with Philemon, he was not a Christian. And so for whatever reason, uh, Onesimus ran away. And he probably, uh, most likely, stole from Philemon as he was leaving to finance his trip to Rome. So Onesimus runs away, 
He ends up in Rome somehow, and he runs into Paul. And now we don't know if he ran into Paul on purpose, if he was seeking him out, or if it just is one of the Lord's providences, and you know, lo and behold, he runs into Paul. But this guy, this runaway slave, who's not a believer, runs into Paul, and sure enough, he gets converted. Paul talks to him about the gospel, and Onesimus becomes a Christian. All right, so, but the problem is that Onesimus owes Philemon. In fact, he's in, he's in trouble, right? He owes him at least you know, his, uh, the, the, the work that he skipped out on. He owes whatever he stole from him. And the fact that he has run away from his uh, agreement as a, as a servant, and we'll talk about that in just a minute, um, is actually punishable by death. So he's in a lot of trouble. And so what does Paul do? He gets converted, and he, he's going to send him back to that guy. He's going to send him back. And it seems like, presumably at least, that Onesimus is wanting to go, or he's at least willing to go. And so Paul sends him back with this letter. That was the purpose of the letter. So think about that scene. Can you imagine, can you imagine showing back up, right? You owe all of that. Can you imagine facing Philemon, the guy that, if he killed you, would actually be well within his legal right? And so you show up. And I want, to, I, want you to, I want to think for just a second about this. Why does he go back? Because I think already right here, in just, uh, just seeing the situation, the context of this letter, it's already instructive to us about what it looks like to relate to one another as Christians. Why does he go back? Basically, now that, now that Onesimus has become a Christian, he wants him to go back and, and make his relationship with Philemon right. He wants him to restore that relationship. Right? There's, there's obligation to make things right between each other. Because Paul even says in the letter, he says, look, I could, I'm somewhat tempted just to keep him here because he's turning out to be very helpful to me in my ministry and I could just keep him here, but he doesn't want to do that. He wants to send him back for the very reason, for the very purpose of restoring that relationship. He wants that relationship fixed. I guess you could say it like this. In other words, he doesn't want to just sweep it under the rug. And take the path of least resistance. He wants to do the hard work of restoring that relationship. And now, as I was thinking about how to illustrate that, how to illustrate sort of the idea of sweeping something under the rug, it took me a few minutes to realize that that's the illustration, right? Sweeping something under the rug, right? You get the, that's why it's a, uh, an expression, right? If you're sweeping your floor, you could... Get your pile of dirt together and then sweep it under a rug if you have that. And it would look better, right? It would seem like things are fine, but it's not going to be long. At some point, it's going to come back up and it's going to be a problem. Right? You get the picture. So Onesimus goes back to Philemon to restore that relationship, to make things right, even though it's going to be hard. And even though they, in some sense, could have just left it alone seemingly. 
So what does that mean for us? Well, it's probably fairly obvious, but it means that if you're a believer, that we're called to, we can't just write off other believers when there's some sort of conflict in our relationship. We can't just chalk it up and say like, well, you know, I'll find another friend. Right? If your roommate makes you mad, right? it can be so tempting. If you're just really not getting along, it's hard to have a conversation about those things. It's awkward. And it can be so tempting just to say, you know what? There's just a few weeks left in the semester. It's been kind of brewing all semester. I'm just going to write, just write out the you know, a length of this lease and I'll get a new roommate. It'll be a whole lot easier. Right? But I think this is, I think that's a, a good application from this letter that, that God, through Paul, is saying, that's not the best way. That believers shouldn't just sort of sweep things un, under the rug relationally. Because it's really, it's going to pop up and be a problem later. Because now, we're in a family. Right? When you're here, you're, you're family and you need to treat each other that way. And now look, of course, we have to use wisdom, right? It doesn't mean that you can never switch roommates because you would be better suited with someone else and those sorts of things. But, but is it because we're afraid to move towards other people in conflict? It means that when somebody close to you, your parents or boyfriend or girlfriend or spouse ultimately or whomever offends you, yeah, it means we can't take the path of least resistance, we have to move toward people and do the hard work of restoring the relationship. It means that you might have to apologize. It means that you might have to ask for forgiveness. It means that you might even have to admit that you were hurt. The whole time realizing that if you just left it alone, it might seem to be easier. So we need to do the hard work of seeing our relationships restored. So that's the situation of the letter. So what's the request? Second point. What's the request that Paul makes? Well, basically, Paul's sending this guy back to his owner, from, which, from whom he ran away. And he says in this letter, basically this, look, here's what you need to know. Onesimus has become a Christian. And I want you to take him in and treat him like a brother. That's essentially his request. Take him in and treat him like a brother. Parts of verse 15 and 16. It says that you might have him back forever. No longer as a slave, but more than a slave, as a beloved brother. Paul even talks about earlier in the letter, verse 10, how uh, essentially he, he was his father in the faith. Right? Onesimus had become his child, which means he shared the gospel with him and he was converted. Right? He's using the language of family. And he says, look, he's coming back to you. And here's how you should treat him, like a brother. Right? He's in the family now. And regardless of what's happened, the fundamental aspect of how you should relate to him is that. He's in the family and y'all are brothers now. When you're here, you're family, right? It's a little bit like we say this at our house with some frequency. We have, um, you know, we have three kids, two, four, and six, the six-year-old and four-year-old boys. And... You know, it happens. One of them might punch the other one, something like that. Like every day. And what do you say? 
right? We say that, you know, if I had a nickel for every time I say this, right? You do not, we do not hit people, right? doesn't matter. You do not hit people. And when you say, and especially your brother, right? Now, what's the point? It's not okay to hit anybody. Let's make that clear. It's not okay to hit anybody, but there's something special, right, about about that relationship. They're nearer and dearer to you. And to offend that relationship, it, I don't know, there's something particular about that, right? We just don't do that. And so look, that, that's not to say, right, at, at all, it's clear, it's not to say that, you know, if Onesimus wasn't a Christian, you know, follow him and do what you want to, kill him, whatever, doesn't matter. Of course not, right? In fact, he'd be required to treat him with the same dignity. But especially since he's your brother. Paul asked him to go above and beyond. All right, so I want you to think about this from Philemon's perspective. Okay? And now look, here's something that you need to know uh, that might have been bothering you the whole time as you listen to this. Uh, We need to talk about slavery in this context for just a second. Um, Because what what you've got to see is that Philemon is not a bad guy. In fact, he's a good guy. He's a sinner, right? But he's a good guy. Um, no doubt, we probably tend to think of slavery. You think of you know, American slavery, 1800s, right? And that's not really a fair comparison to slavery in the first century in, you know, in, in Paul's day, in this part of the world. Um, you know, it, was, it was more the idea of an indentured servant, right? Of at least as I understand it, largely voluntary agreement where I will, you know, the, I will work for you for a set amount of time and you will you know, provide these things for me. Um, servants could buy their freedom to get out of that. Uh, it was, yeah, so like, I know there's probably a ton of questions we could talk for a long time about that, but it looked way different, right? Um, they both had to keep the terms of the, uh, uh, of the agreement. And of course there were abuses to the system and things like that, bad situations. But all that to say that Philemon is not a bad guy because he had servants, okay? All right, so think about it from his perspective. It seems like from everything that Paul says about him that he probably took really good care of the people under him. So he didn't do, basically what I'm trying to say, he didn't do anything wrong. He's, you know, running his household, his business, being good to his folks, and then this guy runs away. And he leaves, uh, so now he's, he basically causes trouble for Philemon, right? He's shorthanded, he stole from him, and now he's, yeah, he's behind on things. He's caused trouble, and then he shows back up, and Paul, he shows up with this letter that Paul says, hey, treat him like a brother. And if he owes you anything, which he does, charge that to me, I'll pay it. And then, of course, that, there's that wonderful little comment where Paul says, you know, not, I don't even really want to mention the fact that you owe me your life, but, right, which is no accident that Paul says that. He says, treat him like a brother. Charge whatever he owes to me. Right? He says, yeah, I could command you to do this, but I don't want to do that. I want it to come from your heart. I want your relationship to be restored because you want to. All right, so again, from Philemon's perspective, I didn't do anything wrong. And now this guy shows back up, and because he's, he's a Christian, 
this is going to cost me. Because I'm not getting it back from Paul. I mean, if he'd have said, all right, Paul, pay up, Paul would have paid up. But he knows he's not going to do that. And so he didn't do anything wrong, and yet it's going to cost him. Uh, a few years ago when we needed to become a minivan family, which I am not ashamed of in the least. I would have driven a minivan in college. They are awesome. <laughs> and I mean that. Um, we were buying, I was buying a van from a Christian dealership that specializes in, in selling to ministers, right? They, their whole deal is that they want to find good, solid cars and get them to people in ministry at a good cost, right? To save them money and know that they're getting something solid. And so these folks are Christians, and they, I don't want to say too much, but basically, I didn't know these people specifically, but I had mutual friends with them. We were, like, I know that these people are believers, right? It's not just that they hung out a shingle and said they're Christian. Like, actually, we kind of ran in the same circles. So I know that they're believers, and so we, we buy a van from them. And it just went really bad, okay? It's a long story that I'm not going to get into, but... It just wasn't a good van. It had problems with it, like when it showed up. And so we sent it back. And they said they would fix it, make it right. Uh, But look, it went on and on for six months. And in this year, you've probably started to know me well enough to know that if I want to, I I can be pretty tough to deal with. Um, And when it comes to customer service, right, yeah. I, I, could, I could buckle down and, and make sure that I get what I want. And so, as right at first, it's not that big a deal, right? Okay, we're going to make it better. So they take the van back, and then they're going to replace it. And, but because I've already paid the tax on it, I'm stuck with them, right? If I get out, it's going to cost me even more money. So this whole thing is actually going to cost me some money and five months of heartache. And it's so frustrating because I didn't do anything wrong, Right? And we're already a few emails and a few conversations into it that are starting to get a little chippy, right? Where, yeah, things are starting to get a little interesting. And, and as I'm in the midst of beginning to, like, compose emails in my mind that end with, you know, things like, and I will own your little dealership if you don't make this right, <laughs> and the like. No kidding. As I start to think about those things, I'm like, I could talk to their session, you know. At the time, I was studying through Colossians with my RUF. Colossians and Philemon were uh, most likely sent at the same time together. And so commentaries, most commentaries study them together. So at that time, I start studying. I'd study through Colossians and, you know, like, I'm going to look at Philemon. And I start studying through it. And I start, you know, looking at these themes. And, that the, you know, it's the theme of you need to treat, fundamentally, you need to treat Christians like they're your brother. That's the number one, that's it, Right? And I start thinking about like, oh, let's see, what would that look like, right? And then it finally dawns on me that I'm in the midst of a perfect scenario. And it, I mean, it was like a knife, right? Because I am all over these people in my mind. Like, I'm just about to get to the point of really ramping it up and like, you know, you know yeah, let me tell you what's going to happen, right? And it just hits me. And yeah, like I said, it just, it cut me. Because I realized, I'm not treating these people like brothers. 
I'm not treating them, I'm not even treating them like customers. I don't want to. But it's so frustrating because I didn't do anything wrong and now it's going to cost me. But we're called to treat one another like brothers. All right, so fair enough, right? But what about when it hits closer to home? Right, buying a car is one thing, and I thought to myself, like, all right, never buying a car from a Christian again so that I can be mean to them, which is stupid. <laughs> but what about when it, gets, when it hits closer to home? And look, let me say this on the front end. This does not mean that justice gets thrown out the window, right? That if you've been wronged in some way, it doesn't mean that, well, you just need to treat them like, the, like a brother and forgive them and forget it, and that's all there is to it, Okay? Wisdom has to be applied. But what about that friend that said something about you that you weren't supposed to hear, but you did anyway? Right? It means you can't write them off. But if you think about it, it's going to cost you something to continue that relationship. It's going to cost you. They should pay. They did the wrong thing. But if that relationship is going to continue, it means you're going to have to forgive them. And basically what forgiveness means is that you don't make them pay. You don't take it out on them. And so that means it's going to cost you, that you swallow that. You bear the debt. Right? Or when somebody close to you slights you in some way, hurts your feelings, you know, offends you in whatever way, right? what we want to do is, is make them pay. Cold shoulder. They owe you now. Uh, cold shoulder. Keep bringing it back up every once in a while. Um, maybe hurt them back in some way. Whatever it is. But to do that is really just to treat them like you own them. Right? It's really just to treat them like they, they work for you. Certainly not to treat them as a brother. And that's why we have to move towards each other and not sweep things under the rug because it doesn't just stay there. It doesn't just lay dormant. Those things build up, right? It's, it, they build up in relationships. It's almost like a little, a little piece of property that we, we sort of get to hold on to, right? I have that against you and I have that against you and I get to stack it up. And it never goes away on its own. But we're called to treat them like family and not make them pay. Second application, it also means that we need to regard other people fundamentally based on their family status and not on anything else. What do I mean by that? It means the fundamental defining aspect of how you relate to another believer is not their race or their gender or, their, um, or if they're rich or if they're poor or if they're cool or if they're not, if they're Greek or not, um, based on what their hobbies are, based on just how much you click with them. Because that's, that's what we tend to fundamentally do. We tend to funda- fundamentally stereotype people and relate to people based on that or based on some sort of super, superficial category. But I think this is showing us, telling us, that we're called to relate to other believers fundamentally based on that family status. That they're your brother or your sister. When you're here, your family. All right, thirdly and finally, let's look at the motivation 
How do you do that? Maybe you're thinking, you know, I would love to move towards people in conflict, not sweep things under the rug. I would love to be able and desirous to forgive people that hurt me. But I don't do that. So what is it that motivates even beginning to think like that? Well, we've actually already mentioned it. And Paul really brilliantly, brilliantly works it sort of all through this little short letter. And like I said, we've already, already mentioned it. Paul, uh, he points Philemon to the gospel. To the fact that he was brought into the family. And he centers it around this idea of identification. Paul identifies himself with Onesimus. Right? He tells Philemon to receive Onesimus just like you would receive me. Treat Onesimus like he's me. And treat me like I'm Onesimus. Right? Receive him like a brother. Treat him like, you know, and Paul says later, make a room for me. I, I hope to come visit you. Get a room ready for me. That's how he would treat Paul. Treat him like me. And whatever he owes you, I'll take care of that. You treat me like I owe you a debt. Right? And Paul even says, that's why he says he writes that with his own hand, because it was a contract. But Paul knows that that that's going to start to make Philemon connect the dots. Right? Because what else is on Paul's tab with Philemon? Nothing. Nothing that Paul owes Philemon. In fact, it's exactly the opposite, right? The the fact that Philemon is a believer is purely because of Paul, humanly speaking. Because Paul told him the gospel. And what was that gospel? What did Paul tell him? Well, Paul very well might have told him about how he experienced Jesus for the first time, right? Which showed him that at the heart of the gospel is the fact that Jesus identifies with his people. Right? You, you remember the story of how Paul met Jesus for the first time. Paul hated Christians, so much so that he would arrest them, kill them. He's on his way to, what, Damascus? Is that right? He's on his way to go persecute Christians. Like, that's what he was doing. Day planner, today, persecute Christians. That's what he's going to do. And all of a sudden, Jesus shows up in you know, this intense light and sound. And he says, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? So you can imagine what Paul thinks, right? Like, certainly I'm not persecuting. Like, you're the most unbelievable thing I've ever experienced. not persecuting you. You see, in that very initial meeting with Jesus, what Paul sees, that Jesus identifies himself with his people. To persecute them means to persecute me. Because we are so closely identified with each other. And that's what Paul told Philemon. That Jesus came, that even though, think about this, even though we were slaves to sin, the Bible talks about it that way, that Jesus shows up and he essentially says, look, treat me like I'm a slave to sin. And God treat them like they're me so they can be free. And interestingly enough, prepare a room for them, right? That's all another deal. And that's what Philemon sees. And that's what he wants us to see. That we're slaves and yet we get to go free. Because Jesus, even though he didn't do anything wrong, in fact, he only did everything right, it cost him a lot. 
He stands in your place. That's what he wants to get. That's what he's pointing Philemon towards, right? Hey, how should we treat, how should we treat the slave? Hey, remember, you were a slave. What happened? Oh, yeah. Jesus came and he identified with me. And I got to be free. And not just be free, but a child of God. The other night I was reading the Bible uh, with the boys, the you know, children's Bible with them because we're an amazing Christian family. And that's on record. <laughs> That'll be on the tape. We never miss it. And so I was reading the, reading the Bible story with them. And Davis asked, some, asked something about Jesus taking the punishment for us. Punishment? Punishment? For us. And so we got to talking about that, how Jesus took our punishment for us, right? And so I was trying to explain it to him. And I said, okay, look, let's pretend, this is just pretend. Let's, let's pretend, Davis, that Davis, you hit Lucy. And you hurt her, right? And I said, that's not good. And you're going to get a spanking for that. But Miles helped Lucy up, and he you know, took care of her. It was very sweet to his sister, because you heard her. And he heard that, uh, that um, Davis was going to get in trouble. And so he asked me, he, he said, I want to take Davis's place. I want to take Davis's spanking. And so imagine if, if, if we wanted to do that, so I gave Miles the spanking that Davis should get. And I look at Davis, and I say, Davis, I'm proud of you for how you took care of your sister and how you were sweet to her. And Miles, <laughs> Miles immediately just blurted out, that's not fair! <laughs> right? Davis shouldn't get that. And I said, you know, you're You're right. In some way, it's not fair. And Paul was getting Philemon to remember, and he wants us to remember, or see it for the first time, the shock of it. Right? That's what Miles was experiencing, in some ways, for the first time. Like, wait a minute. People, what people get and what they deserve, that not matching up, that, that's a big deal. Right? He, he sort of felt the shock of it. And that's what he's, Paul's trying to get Philemon to remember. Remember? Right? Jesus didn't deserve death. And we didn't deserve life. And when our hearts are tempted to cry, that's not fair. I think we can hear Paul on behalf of God saying, yeah, maybe not. But remember, it's awesome that sometimes people don't get what they deserve. And so if you're here, your family. And that's the good news. Let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, thank you for good news. There's so much bad news in the world, in our hearts. There's bad news everywhere. Thank you for sending good news, for being good news, that we, that you would take our place. You would stand in for us, live for us and die for us, that we might get what we don't deserve so that we might be free. Jesus calls that to work in us so that we might love and forgive others. We pray it in your name. Amen.